So I'm going to read now to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained them from what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, B.J. I want to welcome uh, everybody, and especially those that are visiting with us. And um, I want to uh, also welcome, I have, I have family visiting today. My uncle uh, and aunt, Uncle Kyle and Aunt DeAndre are visiting from Alabama. Uh, uncle Kyle is a pastor in Alabama and is up here, was up here doing a wedding yesterday. And uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, uncle Kyle's been a, a pastor I have looked up to for a long time. And so, uh, yeah, pretty cool to have him come to our church and worship with us today. So thank you for being here. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the chance to be in your word and the chance to be gathered with your people. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this time um, and that you would use these moments, God, to bring us closer to you, to help us to see you for who you are and to glorify you more because of who you are. Lord, bless this word that has been read and now shared, and may it be pleasing to your sight. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you haven't uh, noticed by our trees or by any other uh, symbols around us, Christmas is here. Did you know that? Christmas is here. Thanksgiving is over, so you're officially allowed to celebrate Christmas. Uh, I know that's debated sometimes, but that's the rule. Uh, no, it's not. You can, you can celebrate earlier. Um, just don't ask me to celebrate earlier. Uh, Fountain Inn lit their Christmas tree last night, and decorations are up. And of any town, you can't miss Christmas if you live around Fountain Inn. Uh, everybody's got their decorations up. Uh, we learned early on that they come and uh, judge your decorations, literally, uh, by giving out awards by, by neighborhood or ward or whatever. And, uh, and we, we learned early on that they, they do that early in the Christmas. I think it's this Tuesday. And so everybody's got to have their decorations up if they want to win the award you know, by, for their neighborhood by this Tuesday. And, uh, and so all around us, you, you can't miss it. This is Christmas season. And one of the cultural messages of all the lights and the music and all the festivities and songs is that this is meant to be a happy time. It's a celebratory time. It's a time where we're, we're invited. The culture at large is inviting us to be happy, right? The, the song that we sing every year uh, tells us the hap, happiest season of all. And I've always wondered what hap happy means. So I take it to mean not just happiest. It's like a level above that. You're hap happiest. 
season of all. And why wouldn't you be, right? There are parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories. Who, who tells scary? I don't know. But there'll be tales of glories of Christmases long, long ago. And my, my family, I have learned uh, in over 10 years of marriage now, we make the most out of all the, the festive Christmas things. And so I hope you and your family are able to enjoy uh, the Christmas season. And yet, and many times, this season is also a time when some of us just struggle to be happy. And maybe it's just because everybody around us is telling us to be happy. And if you don't feel like you're as happy as everybody else, that can just weigh on you. Or, or maybe you've got a, a specific reason this Christmas, this season, that it's hard for you. Maybe it's a, a recent loss of a loved one or a loss of a loved one from a long time ago, but still the holidays just feel extra hard. Maybe, maybe for you it's this, this sense of like, man, there's all this stuff going on around us, but there's just there's an emptiness to some of the celebration that if you don't have something behind all that celebration, that the celebration can just feel empty, like it's just going to all disappear and all the happiness is going to disappear on January 2nd or whatever else it may be. And there's this longing in all of us for a, a deeper sense of happy, a deeper sense of joy that's not just ebbing and flowing with the lights and the, the seasons of the year. A few years ago, we were watching a, a Hallmark movie, and I can honestly say I don't remember which one it was because they all blur together. Like if you've seen one, you've seen most of them. And, uh, but I do remember this one quote. I, I wrote it down uh, because it was just, it was just so perfect. This, the, the main actress uh, she, early in the movie, she said, I'm just not into this Christmas stuff. I feel like there's something missing. I'm just not happy. And, and I just, she was just begging for us to preach the gospel to her, right? No, that's not how the movie goes. That's not how the, in the movie, of course, the answer was, I don't actually remember. I'm just going to guess back to, to that movie. The answer in that movie was probably something like, uh, the guy she was with was okay, but not great. But if she would just, you know, move on from him and find this other guy who's just perfect for her, who, you know, supports her career and just is right there for her all the way, then she'd be happy. And that's the thing that was missing, right? That's, that's not just Hallmark, but culture in general tells us things, hey, there's, there's something you're missing. It's, it's a relationship. It's a career step. There's a, there's a toy that's going to make your kid have the best Christmas ever. There, there's some material thing you need. And if you just have that one thing, then you'll be happy. And yet, all of us know, deep in our souls, there's, there's something more that we need. There's a, there's a deeper longing in our heart for something that lasts. What, what is your source of joy? What, what is it that truly gives you joy, and not just the, the happiness of a season, but deep, everlasting joy. Something that doesn't fade, something that even, even permeates the moments in our lives where we can have joy even while we mourn the loss of a loved one, even while we get a bad diagnosis, even while we go through trials when the circumstances aren't great. What's the source? Is there a source you have of true, deep, abiding joy? The Bible talks a whole lot about joy, at least over 200 times about joy. John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be full. David prays in Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of our salvation. Philippians 4 commands us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Bible has a lot to say about joy. A few years ago, I read something from another pastor, David Mathis, 
who was writing about joy, and he noticed that, yes, joy is talked a lot, about a lot in the Bible, but there's a few times where the Bible talks about something even, even above that, about great joy. And twice that phrase, great joy, shows up in the Christmas stories, the stories that we associate with Christmas. He wrote uh, this. He said, David Mathis said, We've experienced, however meagerly or infrequently, the blessed emotional surges of God-made delight and the kind word and a friend, friend's hug and our team's victory and a cool breeze and good food and good drink. We know normal joy, but Christmas is not normal joy. Christmas, the Gospels say, is great joy. The most famous reference is in Luke chapter 2. We read, that very first Christmas night when the angels show up to the shepherds out in the fields and it says, the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christmas is about not just normal joy, but about great joy. That's what the angels announced that first Christmas that's what they wanted for the people that were able to celebrate that first Christmas. And that's what I want to invite you to this Christmas. Great joy. Deep, abiding, everlasting, abundant joy. Our culture tells us that you'll find happiness in the holiday season, but the Bible's inviting you to something deeper, something better. Great joy. This morning I want to look at a, a traditional Christmas passage, but with an eye toward what it tells us about joy. Where do we find joy? It's clear to me from studying the, all the Christmas passages, this indeed, Christmas season, this is a time for joy. But not just because of the lights and the festivities, but because of the good news, because of the gospel. Our passage this morning is about the, the, the magi or the, the wise men who come searching for the newborn king. And so we read at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's the wise men's first uh, announcement. And you can hear their eagerness, their anticipation. They've traveled for a long way and they're coming to worship this newborn king. It, it makes sense they would come to Jerusalem. They're coming to the capital city. Of course, this is where they would find a king, right? Or so they thought. And so they came to the capital to, tell, to talk to the current king about the new king. But the news of a new king was new news to the current king. He didn't know what was going on. And so in verse 3 it says he was troubled by the news. This is the first of her, he's heard of this news and he's not so happy about it. He doesn't have the same uh, joy that the wise men had. It's worth noticing that, that this king, King Herod, he does get the announcement, though, that the news does make it to him about this new king. Why, why would God do that? God, God knows what Herod's heart is and that Herod is going to try to kill the, the newborn king, kill his son. Why would God use a star to tell wise men about, about this and then allow them, send them to Jerusalem to tell an evil king about the new king, about his son? There's probably lots of reasons, of course. God's big and He has a lot of things on His mind and He figures it all out. But one reason, I think what's going on here, as you connect this to all the other Christmas passages, is, is the, the story of Christmas is that everybody is invited at Christmas. Everybody is invited at Christmas. 
wise men and evil kings alike are invited at Christmas. The story of the wise men and Herod is told in such a way that these, these are completely opposites. Uh, your literature class would call them character foils. They, they are opposites. And the message of the story comes in all the ways that they are different from one another. They're, they're both royal figures, and that's about where the similarities stop. But they are both invited. They are both told the story. They both get the announcement that the Christ child has been born. There is a new king, and they're invited to him. These wise men uh, are from a, a nation, it says, somewhere to the east, so somewhere far away, and not of the people of Israel. So they are not Jewish. While Herod is the leader of the Jewish people. And both of them are told the same announcement, the same news, Jewish and Jewish, non-Jewish alike. So I want you to hear, even in that, a, a, a message of good news today. Whether this is your 75th Christmas in church or the very first time that you've been in church at Christmas, whether you, uh, whatever your, the color of your skin, the language you speak, whatever uh, amount of money you grew up with, whatever your education level, whatever your background, whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, this is the good news. Everybody is invited at Christmas. God intentionally sent His message to the shepherds who were just smelly people outside a little bitty humble town outside of Bethlehem, and He sent it to the capital city, to the very height of power to King Herod himself. He sent his message to a little humble girl named Mary and to some very wise, smart men in a far-off country. He sends his message to all kinds of people because Christmas is for everybody. Everybody needs to hear this message. The king has arrived. The king has come. So just as the star made the announcement to the wise men and the wise men invited the king, King Herod, I wonder who you could invite to Christmas this year. Who, who might God put in your life and on your heart to invite them to the Christmas story? This is a season where, where many people, whether they have grown up in church or not, are, are, are maybe more likely. If they don't normally spend time thinking about Jesus, this might be the season that more than any other, they think a little bit about Jesus. And this is a season where we are singing, even non-Christians know some of the songs that we just sang. They may not sing them in worship to Christ, but they may know them. And we're telling stories this month that are familiar stories even to non-Christians. So who might God put on your heart to invite to church to share the message of the gospel as we come together week in, week out? And maybe even beyond just inviting them to church to share the story here, maybe you can share Jesus with them personally. Invite somebody to Christmas because everybody is invited. And as you're inviting others, don't forget that you are also in the group of everybody who is invited to Christmas. Because you see, though Herod and the wise men both were invited, they responded in very different ways. So as you hear the invitation, as you invite others, be wise, be mindful of your response. What is your reply to the invitation of Christmas? They have very opposite replies in, in Matthew chapter 2, and the same is true for us today. Some try to be the king, while others worship the king. Some try to be the king, while others worship the king. How, how will you respond to the invitation of Christmas? Most people would think that 
news of a newborn king is good news. Like that sounds like good news. Hey, the king has been born. Well, that's good news for everybody except for the guy who's currently king. The, a new and true king is great news unless you are currently king and you don't want to stop being king. At that point, it's no longer good news. It's bad news to you. And that's why Herod did not see Christmas as a time of joy. He did not want that kid to live very long because he didn't want to stop being king. He got some scribes and priests together and, and they searched the Old Testament. What's, what's this about a Christ child? Where is he supposed to be born? So he reads, they figure out it's in Micah 5.2. And you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So Herod reports back to the wise men. And we read in, in verse 8, So he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too might come and worship him. Yeah, right. <laughs> read the end of the story. You know that was not his intention. He did not have worship on his mind. He had murder on his mind. Why, why would King Herod be so offended by this new announcement of a newborn king? It's because he likes being king. He likes being in charge. He likes being the ruler. So a new king is not good news to him. There can only be one king. There's only room for one on a throne. And King Herod wants to keep his seat, not give it to some measly kid born in Bethlehem. Like many of our, our culture's Christmas stories, it's easy to pick out the bad guy in this story. When you read the story about the Grinch or Scrooge, you know, you know those are the bad guys. You know the story here. So it's easy to pick out the bad guy, Herod, in this story. But what's a little bit more challenging is as we read the Bible a little more closely, we recognize that Herod's reaction is also the, the natural reaction of every human heart. We don't want to get off the throne of our own lives any more than Herod wanted to get off the throne over that region. We don't naturally want to give up the rule and the kingship and the authority over our own lives. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, in every heart, there's a little King Herod. And I like that. Well, I don't like it, but it's well said. It's easy to see that Herod's the bad guy here, but, but it's harder sometimes to see that his reaction is, is many times our own reaction. Do you see that temptation in your life? The temptation to be in charge. The temptation to say, it's my way or the highway. I make the rules for my life and you can't tell me what to do. This shows up in all kinds of ways. I'll give you just, just two examples. Uh, we, we try to be the own, our own king when we live in willful disobedience to God. And by that I mean we, we know what our life is is like, and we've heard what it should be like, and we don't care. We're going to live my way, no matter what anybody says. And you'll just have to get over it, God. We just say, I, I'm, I'm going to live my way. Thank you very much. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. If we are living lives that are intentionally not submitting to God's law, like, I know what He says, and I don't care. We are saying, you're not king, I'm king. My way is better. If we're living our lives deliberately in disobedience to God, we're saying, I'm going to be king. I'm going to try to be the king. And if that's where you are, then you, you haven't accepted the invitation to Christmas. Christmas is an invitation to, to worship the king, not to be the king. Where do you need to turn from willful disobedience to submitting to the true king? To saying, I, I trust you, God, that your way is better than mine. A second example of trying to be the king is not praying. Not praying. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. 
People who don't pray, they don't pray for one of two reasons. Either they don't, they don't know God or they just don't acknowledge Him, right? So if we aren't praying, what we're saying is, I, I don't really need help with my life. I got it. Like, I don't need to ask for help. And they're saying, all the things that I have that are good, I earned, and so I don't need to thank anybody for it. When we pray, what we're saying is, I need help. I, I'm not the sovereign ruler over the universe, and so I need somebody to help me. And we're saying, anything good I have, wow, it was a gift from God. When you pray, you're saying, I'm not king. He is. He's in charge of the future. He's in charge of every good thing that's been done to me in the past, and I thank Him for it. When I, when I get busy, when I think I've got too much going on to slow down, I put my head down and I just keep running ahead. And you know what I'm likely to do? I, I am tempted to just keep working, 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 keep do, 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 next job, next project, next thing, whatever, and never stop and ask God for wisdom, for discernment, to give thanks for the good things He's already done. And that is acting like I'm king and I'm in charge and I'll control things my own way. King Herod tried to be king, but the wise men, they, they had a much better response. We read of their intention already in verse 2. It says, for when they, they told uh, Herod, For when we saw his star, when it arose, and we have come to worship him. And when they find Jesus, in verse 11, they follow through with that intention. It says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense if you've been around the church for a number of Christmases, probably you read that verse and it, and it just kind of you know, sounds like a Christmas story. But don't, don't let the, the commonness of that verse pass over you. Think about how striking that moment would have been. Maybe put yourself in the shoe of, uh, of one of Mary's friends who just happened to come by and visit Mary this day. You're, you, are, you are poor, peasant, just average people in a little town, a little village, very commonplace. Your, your house is probably made of things of, of the earth, just, just kind of common everyday stuff. Uh, things like, you know, bricks and rocks and stones and whatever else. And then all of a sudden, you're just spending time with your friend and her baby. And then these wise, regal figures come. And we don't know much about them and where they, what they came, what it looked like. But imagine being this poor family, just average people, and these men walk in with gifts that you would give to a king. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. This would have been an incredibly striking image as God presents to His own Son, through the wise men, these gifts that were fit for a king. God had announced the message of Christmas to these men, that the king is born, and they accepted the invitation. And the way we know, the way we know they accepted the invitation is they came in worship. They came bowing down and offering gifts. Do, do you believe Jesus is king? If so, the way your life will show that is that you will live worshipful and you will worship the king. Let, let me encourage you, especially this month, this Christmas, to spend time in worship. To, to make it a priority to be here this month on Sunday mornings as we gather for worship. And as you gather, don't just physically come, but, but emotionally and, and spiritually be present. Sing, sing these songs we sing, not just as carols that we've sung forever, but as, as praise genuinely from your heart, worshiping God. And then don't let your worship end when this service ends. Carry your worship through the rest of the week and the rest of this month and into the new year. 
Carve out some intentionally ti- intentional time with your family. If you have young kids, be telling them these Christmas stories and why they're so important. Spend time with your spouse. Talk about what it means to worship Him and how you can glorify God. Make sure your Christmas includes worshiping because that's what it's all about. It's an invitation to come to meet the King and to bow and worship of Him. And as you do, you recognize what the, what the, the, the Magi, these wise men did. They came offering gifts. And, and I have to tell you, every time I read uh, of this story in Matthew 2, I think of uh, the, the best Christmas pageant ever. It started as a, a book, and I think it's been made into a movie. I saw it as a play one time. And if you know that story, you know that story is about uh, the, the sibling group, six of them, called the Herdmans. And everybody in town, all the kids in town, really didn't like the Herdmans because they were bullies. Now, they had a tough home life, and so you understand in the book why they act the way they do. But everybody in town couldn't stand the Herdmans. And all the kids who went to church, one of their favorite things about church is that at church there were no Herdmans. And so they didn't get bullied at church until one Christmas when one kid accidentally invites one of the Herdmans to church because he talks about how great the food is that he has from his Sunday school teacher and the snacks and desserts. And that Sunday, all the Herdmans show up to church and the kids are just so distraught. Well, it continues in that the the Herdsmen show up on the day that they're they're getting the parts for the Christmas pageant. And the Herdsmen don't really understand what that's about, but they bully their way into all the best roles. So the six Herdsmen are Mary, Joseph, the three wise men, and the angel of the Lord. And so they have all the speaking parts, all the main roles, and everybody is fretting about how this Christmas pageant is going to go with all these kids. But if you've read the story or seen the movie or the play or anything, you know how, how beautiful that pageant ends up being. Because as these kids practice and rehearse for this pageant, they, they are hearing the Christmas story for the first time. And as you read that or watch it, you, you're, you're, you're experiencing the Christmas story for the first time. And one of my favorite parts is that one of the herdmen, who's a wise man, when the time comes, everybody looks up and he's not, he was supposed to be carrying this box of, uh, of fake gold to present to the wise men. And he is carrying something gold colored, but it's not the box he's supposed to carry. He's carrying a golden tin of ham. And at first the, Christmas, the, the kids laugh and they're like, why? You know, this is silly. He's bringing a ham. But then one of the kids puts it together. This is a, a gift he's been given for their family for Christmas. And what could be more valuable to a kid who's not really sure what he's going to be able to eat this Christmas? What could be more valuable to him than his Christmas ham? And you know what he does? I get emotional thinking about it. He comes and he lays it at the foot of the manger and offers it to Jesus as a gift. Wow, he gets it. He gets what worship looks like. It's offering gifts to God, offering what we have to the Lord. If you're going to worship this Lord, the Lord this Christmas, give something away. Give it to God. Give it away to those around us. It reminds me of the, the widow's might in Mark chapter 12. You know that story of the, of the woman who gave two small coins Everybody was like, ah, it's nothing. But Jesus sees what it was. It was everything she had to live on. And he praises her for what she does. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The point is that these are gifts fit for a king. And they're gifts of worship. True worship is giving God our very best. When you give to the Lord, whether it be with your money, whether it be with your time, your gifts, unique talents you have, when you give to God, that is worship. You're saying, this is the king. This is what I have is fit for a king. And I want to give it to him. Are you worshiping God by giving to God? 
I want, to see, I want you to see one more difference between Herod and the wise men. And this, I think, is the most uh, significant for us as we seek joy. We said both of them received the same invitation. They both got the same news. The king has been born, but they responded different ways. One is troubled by it because he wants to be the king. The other wants to worship him. And notice what the difference it makes in how they feel. When the king, Herod, wants to be the king, verse 3 tells us he was troubled by it. He wanted to be the king, and he was miserable thinking about Jesus being king. His position in the world was threatened and troubled, and so that troubled him. And that's what happens to us. Trying to be the king makes us miserable. Trying to be the king makes us miserable. The great irony of trying to to please ourselves is that we never actually can. We actually can't meet our own deepest longing for joy. And here's why. We were not created to be the king over our lives. When we try to do a job, we try to take a responsibility that's not ours, we can't do it. And it makes us miserable. We're trying to do something we're not called to do. And it's so ironic because the reason we want to be in charge of our own lives, the reason we want to make our rule, the rules and we want to follow our own way is we think that's what's going to make me happy. I'm going to pursue what I want in life. And that makes us miserable. It's the billionaire who spends his whole life accumulating wealth and never has enough, is never really satisfied. It's the athlete who, who is miserable after retirement because the spotlight is off of him and he can't stand it anymore. When we're miserable, we're troubled, it's so easy. We point to the next thing. We say, if I had that, if I had that thing, that would make me happy. We point to something of this world and say, this is what I need. And so King Herod is pointing at killing this child. If I just get rid of that king, that so-called newborn king, then I'll be happy. But it never works that way. If you feel like you don't have joy, there's that temptation to point to something in the world and say, this will make me, this will give me joy. I can point to it. It's right there. I just need to get that one more thing. But it doesn't work. I've quoted this before because I think it's so true of our lives. The movie, The Greatest Showman from a few years back, there's a a, a moving song about this woman who is just miserable because she's longing for a man she's in love with. And she sings, Because darling without you, All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. She is miserable. She's troubled. She knows she's missing something. And she's wise to say that the spotlights of being on stage, towers worth of gold, it won't satisfy me. She knows that. But she's wrong to think she can find it in any person or anything of this world. What she doesn't know is that only Jesus can satisfy. Some try to be the king while others worship the king. Trying to be the king makes us miserable. But we find great joy when we worship the king. We find great joy. Listen to what happens to the wise men. We, we already read about the, the part of their journey where they, they give the gifts to to Jesus. And right before that, we read this, Matthew 2, 9 and 10. After listening to the king, uh, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose before them as it went, it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Could, Could Matthew have done anything more to emphasize how the magi, how the wise men felt? I mean, it's not just joy, it's great joy. 
And not just great joy, but they rejoiced with great joy. And they didn't just rejoice with great joy, but they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like Matthew took out a big highlighter and a red pen and circled it. They had a lot of joy. He was trying to tell you, you can't miss this. The wise men were so excited. Now, were they excited because on that day they were getting a bike for Christmas? Were they excited because on that day their, their spouse had bought them a brand new car, wrapped a red bow around it? Were they excited because they were getting something? No, they were excited because they had the opportunity to worship the true king. They were giving something away. They were worshiping. And it brought them incredible joy. Isn't that kind of joy what we all want at Christmas and, and all the time? We all want not just, not just happy-go-lucky, feel happy, sing a good song. We want joy and great joy. And we want to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. That's what we all long for. That's the, the desire of our hearts. And worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. When we, when we pursue worship, when we pursue knowing God, that's where we find joy. Worship Jesus with all you have. Delight in Him. Delight in being with Him. That's what brings joy. This is the, the not-so-secret secret of the Bible. And I say that because naturally our hearts think it's totally opposite. It feels totally upside down and backwards to our natural hearts. But it's actually the right way up, right? The, the world says, pursue your own pleasure. You can find a way to make yourself happy. The Bible says that'll never work. It'll never work. We think that pursuing our own joy, our own happiness makes us happy. But the glorious truth of the Bible is that we cannot find true joy by trying to go after it ourselves. We find joy by giving things away and by worshiping. Didn't, didn't your mom or grandma or somebody along Christmas, didn't they tell you something like, it's more blessed to give than receive? Do you know that she's quoting Jesus? That's the disciples quote Jesus, Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than receive. And that's the truth of Christmas and the truth of true joy, the truth of everlasting life. If you spend your life searching for more stuff, more things, uh, people, more people, uh, if, you're, if you bank your whole life on a marriage or on children or anything else in this world, maybe good things, good gifts from the Lord. We celebrate the goodness of the season and all the fun. But it cannot be the source of your joy. It will not last. It will not last. There's only one true, everlasting source of joy, and it's God Himself. And when you spend your life in worship of Him, that's where you find everlasting, great, abiding joy. That's what Christmas is all about. If you seek pleasures and all the stuff of this world, C.S. Lewis tells us we, we are far too easily pleased. There is a greater joy to be had than just the stuff of the season or stuff of this world. We can be pleased by being in God's presence. Psalm 1611, one of my all-time favorite verses. You make known to me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want, you want joy? You want pleasure? Don't seek after the stuff of the world. Seek to know God. Seek to worship Him. Give stuff away and enjoy being in His presence. Offer Him your best. Give, serve, love. Seek the kingdom of God. Worship Him, and then you'll find joy. That same pageant of the, the, the greatest Christmas pageant ever, uh, one of the greatest moments there is that Imogene is the, the oldest, oldest uh, daughter, oldest sibling, and she's one of the biggest bullies of them all. Everybody's afraid of Imogene. And she had bullied her way, even over, over Alice, who had been Mary 
for all these years in the pageant, Imogene gets to be Mary. And just like the rest of her siblings, somewhere along the way, as they practiced and rehearsed and heard this story for the first time, Imogene is moved by being a part of the Christmas story. And they watch her that she is not just holding this toy pretend Jesus and just going along with the part. She is caring for this child. She's burping this child and shushing and trying, trying her best to care for it. And as everybody begins to sing Silent Night, they look at Imogene and realize she's, she's weeping. This little girl is weeping as she looks down at the baby in her arms. Now, I have no idea what she really knew and what she experienced and why she was weeping, but there's this sense of awe and wonder that the Heavenly Father would choose to send His own Son into the world to save us. And He would come humbly as a child so we could know Him and experience Him and walk with Him and learn to be like Him. And as we think about Christmas, I just... I picture Imogene just crying, tears of joy. And she gets to worship for the first time that Christ has come. Are you looking for joy? Are you looking for deep, everlasting joy? Worship the King. Worship the King this Christmas. And there you'll find joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you did not leave us in our brokenness and our sin and our despair and our trouble. But thank you that you sent us your son to come and to save us. God, we confess that even if we've known that story and known that story for a long time, we still seek pleasures and satisfactions from checking off to-do lists and material things of the world and things that are less, less good. And so, God, we pray that you would use even the, the, the holiday season to point us to Christ so that we may come and worship you, the Savior of the world. And, God, may we find deep, everlasting, abiding joy right there. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band leads our closing song, you are welcome to the altar. It is open. You're welcome to come and pray with me if you'd like. But I pray that you respond today in worship because that's where you'll find joy. Let's stand and sing.